three. Let me read uh, the, uh, all three verses, uh, the first three verses, but it's two and three that are under our, our, um, our concern tonight. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O oh man, you who judge who's those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Uh, I know that before you um, probably leave her tonight, you will wonder why on earth is he spending so much time on this, this issue, this topic uh, that is mentioned so frequently in this, these three verses about God being a judge. Um, I, I don't know really all of my motivation, but I do, I think part of it is that this culture is, uh, it, it's the one thing that they hate to be told. The, the whole idea of accountability is, is repugnant in their, in their minds. Um, and, and perhaps in some of ours, I hope not, but uh, perhaps it is. But there, there's more at stake, I think. And, um, and I hope you'll see that before we close. And so we're going to spend another week on this issue of judgment. And then, hopefully, God willing, we will get off this by, uh, by next week. But you might recall that, that what, I, what I've been trying to show you in, in, in chapter 2 is that Paul is developing an argument, an argument against his, his fellow countrymen, uh, Jews. And, and that is that they, too, are included in the grand sweep of God's judgment against sin. They did not think that, um, that they were going to be included, and so he sets out to prove that indeed they are. Uh, he has one argument in verse 1. He's on to the second argument, or the second part of his argument, and that is that God judges according to truth. He does not judge according to nationality. It is not the, the fact that they are uh, part of a particular uh, national people, but he judges according to truth. Now, and then last week, I, I hope you'll recall that I mentioned that there are three uh, brands of judgment that God is pictured as performing. And this, this idea uh, of God being a judge is really, ladies and gentlemen, all over the Bible. Um, just to mention just a few, if you, if you want to race down some things with me, the the uh, the story you'll recall i think when um, god is about to judge sodom and and he's in that um, that uh, conversation with with uh, abraham about whether he should judge a, a place where there's 50 righteous or 35 righteous or 10 righteous etc but anyway in the midst of that con in the uh, that conversation um abraham states in verse 25 of um genesis 18 Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Um, and Abraham was gripped with this, this idea that this, this, this God that he was dealing with is the judge of all the earth. And indeed, we expect him to do right. We move just a, a few chapters over, and we come to Exodus chapter 20, and we, we just find that he is, this judge is delivering ten laws, ten things that he establishes as firmly fixed, as absolute standards. 
And he does so as the one who has the right to, dis to define uh, how life is to be lived. We know those, of course, as the Ten Commandments. And then we come to the, to the Psalms, and we, we find a statement. Uh, we, it's all through the Psalms, but one that I was particularly enchanted with is in Psalm, uh, chapter, Psalm 11. Let me read you about uh, four verses of Psalm 11. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire and brimstone and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, his countenance beholds the upright. The reason I draw your attention to that is that that whole picture, that whole snapshot of who God is right there is a God who is in the, is in the role of performing judgment. That, 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 uh, that, that picture of his eyes behold, his eyelids test. His, and, and, and he's doing that in this posture, in this position of judge. And then just one in the New Testament that I would mention to you is in the, the little epistle of John, 1 John. And I think you know this statement. Um, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Well, gang, you, you certainly don't find the word judgment there. But that, that portrayal of God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Um, because that is true, ladies and gentlemen, Paul can make the statement that he makes in Romans 2.2. Because God is light, uh, because that is true of him, then there's no varying standards. There's no variations. There's no changeableness in, in, in what he does. Um, in our judgments, there is that kind of shifting uh, standard, but not his. And, and this is why we, we make such poor judges. Because we can't say in him there is light and there is no darkness at all. But because we can say this about God, then we can say in his judgments there are no varying standards. There is no changeableness. And, and because his standards don't change, they don't vary, then he judges according to truth. But that's the very thing that the Jews misunderstood. They thought that his judgments did vary and that there was one standard for judgment for the Gentiles and another standard of judgment for the Jews. But no, no. In this God, there is only light and there is no darkness in him at all. All, all I'm trying to establish initially is that this, this portrayal, this presentation, this picture of God that you find woven into the warp and the woof of the scriptures throughout is that God is a judge. And um, gang, I, I must tell you, one of the clear dangers in evangelicalism, particularly in southern evangelicalism, I think, maybe I, I don't really know what northern evangelicalism does, so I, I really can't 
But one of the clear dangers in evangelicalism is the emphasis when the gospel is preached on nothing more than pardon and forgiveness. Folks, I think you know, do you not? If, if you've never seen this, see if you can find 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 real quickly. Because, you know, um, you, may, you may have often wondered what the will of God for you is, you know? Um, I, and I get that question probably half a dozen times a year. You know, Jimmy, I need to see you because I'm wrestling with the will of God. I would like to know God's will for me. And, and I always, comic, maybe not comically, but jokingly, uh, reply, well, you come on in here to see me because I'm here to tell you I can tell you God's will for your life. <laughs> and you know what? I'm not going to charge you $135 an hour. You just walk on in here, it won't take but, uh, you know, six or eight minutes and you'll be on your way. Because I know, I know, I'm positive I know, God's will for you. Because it is stated right here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God, <laughs> your sanctification. God's will for us, gang, is our sanctification. Now, the reason I raise that point here is, in, in, in evangelicalism in the South, there is this tendency to emphasize pardon and forgiveness. And because we have lost this sense of judgment, the whole idea of sanctification, which is the will of God for us, is somewhat foreign to the evangelical church. And what I'm suggesting to you is this portrayal of God as judge is something that promotes holy living. Understand that God is a judge promotes the thing that the Bible says is God's will for us. And, and, and ignoring that and eliminating that from our thinking, ladies and gentlemen, I think deflates the, 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 the wind that should be in our spiritual sails as we move towards holy living. And if you remove this idea that God is judge, then I think you have sucked some of the, the, the verve and the vim and the vitality of the Christian's pursuit of holy living. That's one of the reasons that I wanted to spend another week on it, ladies and gentlemen, to reestablish that firmly in our minds. Because I think that when we consider God as he is portrayed rightly in the scriptures, but I think it promotes, it gives more impetus to a lifestyle of holiness, which, ladies and gentlemen, is God's will for all of us. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know whether he wants you to go to that school or the other school. I don't know whether he wants you to take that job or stay in this one. I don't know whether he wants you to send your kids to day school or not. I don't know whether he would have you buy a, a RV or a boat. But I can tell you this. I know God's will for all of us. It is that we become like Jesus Christ. 
And one of the things that I think provides impetus to that is never forgetting that God is a judge. And you must factor that in in your whole understanding of him. There's a couple of other things that I want to point out. And at this point, I become very professorial. And I, I apologize. But I'm not being professorial right now. I'm being immensely pastoral. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the reasons that our appetites are so small, I think, when it comes to our desire for holiness, is that many of us have forgotten the picture that God judges the righteous. He judges the unrighteous as well, but he judges us too. And as I said last week, that means that, that choices have consequences, very, very significant consequences. Now, here, here is my, my turn towards uh, my role as professor, which I, I hope you don't mind for a moment. Um, one, of the, one of the issues that has arisen in the church and continues to raise its ugly head is, I think, the result of forgetting this statement by Paul that God judges according to truth. When you fail to realize that God judges according to truth, the result is often a position known as antinomianism. That's a word that I've introduced before. Let me introduce it again. Antinomianism. It is a combination of two Greek words, anti, which means against, and nomos, which means law. Um, in fact, ladies and gentlemen, you may not um, have been aware of this, but this has been around from ad infinitum. There was a man in the late 18th century and early um, 19th century. His name was Sandaman. Um, and his, the following was Sandamani Sandamanism. And what Mr. Sandaman suggested is that, that the gospel, that, that faith, touches only the intellect and, and, and developed a massive following. Now, guys, can you see the ramifications of saying that faith touches only the intellect? That is to suggest that if I possess certain facts intellectually, that all is well with my soul. Which, can you imagine what that does to lifestyle, behavior, conduct? Well, antinomianism is, is a position, and I, it's far more complex than I'm about to suggest, but let me, let me just simplify it in a sentence or so. What an antinomian is suggesting is that now that I'm a Christian, now that my salvation is safe, it doesn't matter what I do. Um, now that I have become a Christian, Ladies and gentlemen, I started to bring the book in here with me. I decided not to do that, but I can kiss God goodbye and can become an atheist and still be saved. That is antinomianism at its worst. Now, guys, what I'm suggesting is antinomianism is a frequent result of forgetting that God is judge.
um, I want you to know it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. If you sin against God, it is a sin and he will judge that sin. You must not forget that. To forget that is to emasculate, I think, our, our headlong pursuit of holy lifestyles. Gang, um, real grace does not grant you permission to live in the flesh. Real grace supplies power for us to live in the Spirit. And, and well, you know, I, I, I think people, when they hear us preaching the gospel these days with our emphasis upon pardon and forgiveness, and those are wonderful truths, ladies and gentlemen, but they can never be divorced from the rest of the gospel. When they hear us preach the gospel with our emphasis upon pardon and forgiveness, they hear us say, that Jesus will take us any way we come to him. And that is true. But apparently they hear us also say, we can stay that way. He'll take us any way, any way we are, and he will let us stay that way. No, no, ladies and gentlemen. No, no. And what I'm suggesting is that we must reinsert maybe perhaps not at the center, but close to the center of our understanding of this God, that he is a God of justice. He is a God that judges. Oh, yes, he's a God of love and grace and mercy, indeed. But don't fail to factor in your understanding that this God judges according to truth. Another one of my concerns when this, this idea is forgotten I want to suggest to you, ladies and gentlemen, that, that uh, let me move out of my professorial mode back to the pastoral. Um, I, I'm convinced that many of us, many Christians, do not enjoy the riches of God's blessing in, in a multiplicity of ways because we are disobedient. Um, I, I, am, I am also... A, convinced that God withholds. He withholds his blessing because we are disobedient. Um, I, I must tell you, and I think, I hope you already know this, God will not bless his people in the midst of their disobedience. And what I'm, what I'm hoping is that to firmly reestablish this portrayal of God as in his rightful role as judge, will jar us into the, in the remembrance that we cannot take our disobediences lightly. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I remember years ago, um, there was a, I taught about, this was in Ocala, and uh, the church had first started, and um, the church that I planted in, in Ocala, Florida, and um, this guy, one of the guys, that, one of the families that was coming to the church owned a Howard Johnson's motel. And the Howard Johnson's motel was a rundown dump way out on this road. But anyway, his name was uh, Al Barth. And uh, Al loaned us a, a room in the hotel to have a, a, a youth Bible study. <laughs> and we had it on Sunday nights. And, um, you know, parents had a little bit of problem about their kids going to a motel room for a, uh, a Bible study. 
But I mean, it was cleaned out. It was just a, it was an empty motel room. But uh, I remember there was about about ten kids there in the beginning, and um, one family in the church had four girls. And so it was their four girls and four of their friends. It was four. I think there were there were seven girls and one guy. And they had brought a little friend, and her name was Cindy Bazzi. I never forget Cindy. And and she was kind of new to all this, you know, and, and, and didn't want her to you know, She just came with her friend, you know, this motel room for a Bible study. And and I remember I said something that night, and she has she reminded me of it a hundred times after I said it to her. And and I, I, I probably wouldn't state it again, but um, because so I, I'm just going on and on and on about disobediences and obediences. And, and I made this statement. Now, I, let me qualify it after I make it, um, because I, it needs some qualification, believe me. I said, to violate the speed laws is as bad as an abortion. <laughs> well, now, ladies and gentlemen, I, 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 don't, I, I don't really mean that, but I do mean that in one sense. Certainly the consequences of an abortion are far, far greater than going 55 and a 30, which some of you did this week. (laughs) Um, But ladies and gentlemen, the point that I was trying to make that night is the point that I'm trying to make tonight. Our disobediences are important. The big ones and the little ones. It is not enough to say, let me get rid of the big ones. I'll tell you, ladies and gentlemen, nobody had a fouler mouth than mine. It wasn't that I said anything any different than anybody else was saying, and I just said it more loudly. So everybody heard it. You know, I, I told you the story about the one I let fly in the gym, didn't I? Oh, that was awful. I was playing basketball in in, uh, uh, in senior high, and, and um, you know, there wasn't but about 20 people in the whole gym, and my mother was one of them, and, uh, you know, and this, I went up for a rebound, and this guy, Elmo, be right in the eye, you know, and, and I just let this thing fly, and it went, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> And, and, I, and my mother was sitting up there, you know. But, but I, all of that to say this. When I became a Christian, that stuff was easy to get rid of. Those were easy obediences to, to come to. But I, I, I'm saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, that that ain't enough. I, I want you to look at some passages with me. We got 11 minutes, and I'm going to try to wrap this up so that we can get off this subject. But, but I want you to look with me, and this is, I, I'm telling you, it's, it's numerous places, but I want you to look with me at Leviticus 26. And then I want to speak some heresy, and then we'll quit. Um, Leviticus 26. First of all, let me jump you down to the verse 13. And, and I want you to notice this statement in uh, verse 13. God is speaking. I'm right in the middle of the paragraph, but let me just show you this first. I am the Lord your God. 
who brought you out of the land of Egypt. My, my point is, ladies and gentlemen, he's speaking to the family. He's not speaking to the, to the uh, Amalekites and the Hittites and the Gittites. He's speaking to the family. And he says, verse 3, If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, then I will give you rain in its season, the land shall yield its produce, and the trees of the field shall bear their fruit. Your threshing shall... On and on and on it goes. But look at verse 14. But if you do not obey me and do not observe all these commandments, and if you despise my statutes, or if your soul abhors my judgments, so that you do not perform all my commandments, but break my covenant, I also will do this to you. I will even appoint terror over you. Wasting disease and fever. Gang, you know, keep on, go home tonight and read all that. All I'm trying to say is, because I think we lost this sense, this picture, this portrayal, as I said, which is all over the Bible, that God is a God who judges according to truth, says Paul. I think, I, I think some of our spiritual bank accounts are just about dry. Because my friends, he will not bless us in the midst of our disobediences. And, and as, as Psalm 11 said, his eyes behold, his eyelids dry. Um, here's my heresy. You know, guys, <laughs> I hardly know how to say this, but, um, you know, you and I talk about the unconditional love of God. And I want you to know, you don't believe that. You don't believe that. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, doesn't it? Well, do you mean one can still be saved without believing on the Lord Jesus Christ? I say to you, the bulk of God's promises are conditional. Would you like to see one? And, and I, I've got about four here, but we don't have time. Turn with me real quick if you can find John 15. Let, let me read you uh, just verse 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Do you notice what is said conditionally? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then, then we will see prayer lives that prosper. We will see fruit that is born in abundance. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Because, ladies and gentlemen, this God is one who always judges in truth. 
There is no variable standard. The standards are always the same at all times and everywhere. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is thrilling, utterly thrilling. This, this God, does, he never judges by appearances. He says that in John chapter 7, um, or external appearances. Oh, I, oh, I, I want to read you that one. Uh, John 7, 24. Um, Do not judge according to appearances, but judge with righteous judgments. There's a statement in, in, in Luke 16 that I heard this past Friday, and, and it just jarred me. Um, Luke 16, um, yes, verse 15. Um, and he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. How does he know our hearts? Because he's the judge of all the earth and he will always do right. Here's what jarred me. For what is highly esteemed among men, God is not very fond of. For what is highly esteemed among men, God doesn't care much for. For what is highly esteemed among men, God could care less about. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination. I know what I esteem. I know what you esteem. I know what things are important to us. I know how we judge. And thank God it's not us that does it. I know, I know how we evaluate people. I know that we like the ones who are cute and we don't like the ones who aren't. I know that we gravitate towards the one who drives a BMW and we frown upon those who drive stanzas. I see it daily. <laughs> I know that we, that we value success and we turn our noses up at sluggardliness. All I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, I know what we value. I know what is highly esteemed among us. I esteem the same things you do. And I want you to know those things are abomination before God. He does not judge according to outward appearances. He can never be bought. Do you remember the funny story about uh, Samuel uh, excuse me, Saul, when Saul disobeyed, he was supposed to slay all the Agagites, and he, he kept the king and the best of it, and then he, then he threw a worship service. And Samuel says, don't you understand, Saul, that God is not interested in your sacrifices? Because you can't bribe this God. He didn't say that, but... And I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, he always judges according to truth. He does not judge according to outward appearances. He can never be bought, and he has no favorites. Even David, the man after his own heart, suffered at great length because he played fast and loose with the commands of God. Let me close with three quick, actually really two and a half, quick applications, and we'll quit for the night. I don't know about you, ladies and gentlemen, but when I hear about this judgment of God according to truth, hope swells in my breast. Why? 
because ladies and gentlemen change is now possible when god chooses to shine a light on my sin chastising me for it the key issue then becomes how will i react and if i react properly then you know what happens i become more like the savior i change i don't know about you but i want to change don't you don't you want to get better at this well i say to you ladies and gentlemen the fact that god judges according to truth should prompt hope at the center of our beings because now change is possible he his eyelids examine my behavior he shines his light of truth and judgment on my sin and at that point i can blow it or if i respond rightly i'm turned into his image i don't know about the rest of you ladies and gentlemen but i would love more change in my soul the second application is that in this process of god judging according to truth God's goodness is proved to us over and over and over again. Because every time he does shine his light of scrutiny on my sin, I find out he's right. I'm wrong. And I'm on a path of destruction. And he has graciously stopped me from my own destructive ways. And so I find out again and again that he is right and he is fair and he is full of forgiveness. And so in this process of him judging according to truth, I see how good he is again and again. And then finally, I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, one of the things that I think every one of us absolutely love is the concept of fairness. <laughs> fairness. Do you raise your kids fairly? <laughs> I had three girls. And we were all, I, if I said this once while they were being raised, I said it a thousand times. Same, same. You got this, she got that. You get a dollar, you get a dollar. Same, same. Because I was longing to be a fair father. You know, um, we had a basketball game here last night. Randy Turner's team picked on Ernie Norcross's team. He should be ashamed, don't you think? And the, and the skinny at the lunch table today was, the referees weren't letting them get away with anything last night. But don't, have you ever played basketball? All you, all you want is for the referees to be consistent. If they call it there, then call it there. Have you ever seen a game refereed like that? But no, ladies and gentlemen, I want to let you know this God is perfectly fair. Is that not glorious? Don't you love fairness? God is fair because his judgments are always according to truth. 
think that's a pivotal issue in the life of every believer. And that's why we spent so much time on it. Uh, if you're a choir member, you need to hasten off. And then um, if you're, there's all kinds of meetings tonight, I understand. There's a personnel committee meeting. There's a global missions committee meeting. There's a building committee meeting. So Susie and I will stay here and pray. And the, you're dismissed. Um, <clears throat> There are people going to serve you. Isn't that neat? Let's pray. Our Father, I do thank you as a pastor that I get to stand up here and watch that number of people file out the door to go serve the kingdom of God. What a thrill to see people whose hearts are eager to make a contribution, not to the Gracie Van, not to Jimmy Young, but a contribution to the King of Kings. And I pray, O oh God, that you will reward them, that you will bless them, that you will assure them that what they are doing, even at this very minute, is a, is a labor that will not be forgotten in heaven. Father, uh, we do thank you for your word, and I pray that, your heart, that the hearts of your people will have been strangely warmed by its examination tonight, and I pray that the examination has been done rightly. If it has not, O oh God, might they not remember a word that was said. But if it was true, if it was consistent to your heart and mind, might it sink deep into our souls and make us new people. We ask all of this in the name of King Jesus. Amen. Thanks, guys, and good night.